Well, the confetti was back at BMO Field for the first time this season as Toronto FC lifted their seventh Voyagers Cup as champions of Canada. The win means they will get a chance at redemption in the CONCACAF Champions League after losing on penalties in the final of last year's competition. We will talk about this, what this victory means for the club on today's edition of the Footy Talks podcast. We'll also talk a bit of Manchester United on the show with the Premier League kicking off this past weekend. Sitting in the co-host chair today, I guess the metaphorical co-host chair, um, to chat about all this with me, it's the return of Waking the Reds, Charlie O'Connor-Clark. Charlie, thanks for joining the show. Hi, no problem. Uh, We're going to be talking a bunch of Toronto FC off the top here, but uh, before we fully get into that, um, you know, we do know a lot of Toronto FC fans listen to the show, and we're giving away a pair of tickets to the big 4-1 derby match. Uh, on Saturday, the 25th at BMO Field. Uh, you can visit the Footy Talks Facebook page for details on how to win. We'll announce the winners at our Footy Talks event this Saturday, the 18th at the Rec Room, so make sure to RSVP for that. Uh, you can also do that on our Facebook page. But uh, let's jump into the Toronto FC stuff then. They they lifted their third straight Voyagers Cup last night, uh, 5-2 to two win on the night, 7-4 on aggregate over the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, I think... You know, it was a relatively even match for the first half an hour or so. Uh, Carl Robinson said last night that his team was really going for it in, in the first half hour, which uh, could have fooled me a little bit. I, I hope he didn't see the uh, eyebrow raise I gave in the uh, in the press conference. Uh, you know, they didn't have a ton of chances, but it was fairly comfortable for Toronto FC in the end. They really dominated kind of the middle 40 of the match, probably the most... Like the most concerned it seemed everyone was during this game was when they scored two a little later, but Toronto FC already had four at that point. So um, at the end of the day, it seemed like any concern during this match was just um, kind of what we've had from from this season so far. And in the end, it was a pretty straightforward win for the Reds. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think they ever came into the game really not confident, even though they've they've kind of struggled in the league. I mean, Vancouver's... I mean, they have one of the... probably one of the top young players in MLS for now uh, Mm -hmm. in Alfonso Davies. But other than that, they don't really have all that much that can challenge a team with the quality of Toronto FC. So, I mean, I think we we kind of expected going in that the score was 2-2 going in. So TFC were pretty firmly in the driver's seat with the extra away goal. Um... And yeah, it just kind of showed through. Like Vancouver could only keep up with TFC's kind of pressing and and possession for so long, and eventually that it had to crack. And then at that point, I mean, TFC are a team where once they once they get a sniff of confidence, they score a goal or two, they'll score another two or three. Yeah, that's exactly that's basically what happened. Was you know, there's finally some confidence back, and you know. It makes me curious now what this is going to mean for the rest of the season. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, you know this gives them something to point to where they have something to build towards next season. Even if they can't make the playoffs here, um, they have this this Champions League campaign that obviously they have unfinished business there, and uh, it's something to market for next season. So, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, this was a massive victory in terms of of turning the tide, but. I wonder too how much confidence this gives them as a team because 
it's almost like a weight off their back now. They don't have to worry about this competition anymore. They have that in their back pocket, and now it's it's they can only 100% focus on the season and, and just trying to to have a bit of a miracle here and, and turn things around. Yeah, I think at this point the Canadian Championship has become kind of almost an obligation for TFC to win every year. Mm-hmm. Like they they feel almost almost like they have to win that trophy every year and I mean they usually do to be honest but I think yeah definitely at this point it's nice to have something tangible that they can show for this season no matter what plays out in the last 11 games of the schedule like they do have something that they can say that they accomplished this year even if it didn't turn out the way it was kind of planned which is definitely a weight off their shoulders I mean I'm sure they kind of like the bare minimum expectation for them has been for the last couple of weeks has been to win this tournament mm-hmm. and now that that's done that's kind of I mean it's really nothing left to worry about other than just trying to pick up some wins in these last 11 games which is good I mean they've got like once they've got the suspensions and stuff out of the way on the weekend <laughs> they're going to have pretty much everybody back in the lineup they've only got one goal for the rest of the way You'd think that they'd be able to kind of maybe bring it together a little bit and kind of focus directly on on this one thing. And now they they do remember how to win a trophy. They know that <laughs> they know that they can do that and that they're capable of doing that and that they're capable of scoring five goals in a cup final. Mm. Um, I think you definitely have to think that it's a bit of a boost for for confidence, especially with another game coming up just like three days later I think that might be a positive in terms of kind of keeping that feeling fresh as they go into an MLS game I mean it's a very short turnaround and it's a lot of travel and the fatigue is going to be pretty brutal but it's kind of good to keep that mentality kind of like at the front of mind when when they head into San Jose on the weekend I think and from then on yeah, you mentioned the fatigue, and that's kind of what Greg Van- Vanny brought up after the game in terms of why this team didn't celebrate, um, you know, th- this trophy in the way perhaps we've seen in the past. I-, I was kind of surprised, to be honest, especially, you know, once the final whistle sounded, it just it looked like a normal, almost like a 1-1 draw, hard-fought MLS, <laughs> like regular season game. Just everyone kind of collapsed to the ground. There were some handshakes and whatever. It took Toronto FC kind of a minute to minute or two to realize what what this had meant and, and what they'd accomplished. Do you think that's just a byproduct of, of how this season's gone so far? It was it just struck me as a little bizarre considering, you know, um, this this really was a big accomplishment for the team, especially, you know, how, with how with how little momentum they've had this season to to be able to at the very least lift this trophy. I think that's definitely part of it, but I think I I honestly think especially from kind of hearing the sort of the sort of things that the players and that Fanny were saying after the game, I think they've kind of completely changed the way they look at this tournament now that they've seen what the Champions League is like. Mm-hmm. like I think they see it a lot more of a beginning than a real like climax of a of a accomplishment. That's like now point. that they, it's it's basically I think for them, yeah, it's yes, they're the champions of Canada and that's a big deal. But at this point, I think it's now they've qualified for the tournament that they desperately, desperately want to be in. 
and they are back in that tournament. Obviously, the CONCACAF Champions League, they uh, went to the final, lost in penalties and, and a lot of unfinished business there. What do you think they can learn, you know, now that they're back there from, um, you know, Greg Vanny mentioned it a little bit, a couple of the things that perhaps they can they can learn from from what went wrong this year. But, um, you know, how, how do they balance what what was an incredibly difficult campaign in the Champions League with with MLS? Because obviously, um, in a lot of ways, it completely derailed what they did in the regular season this year. And uh, certainly this is, this is a team with ambitions, you know, I, I I still think that the CONCACAF Champions League, actually, in fact, I know the CONCACAF Champions League is their top priority right now, so they are always going to give that precedent. Mm-hmm. But I know for also for a fact that um, they don't want this to happen in MLS again. They expect both to be able to compete in the CONCACAF Champions League and be able to qualify for the playoffs annually in MLS. And uh, they just certainly didn't get that balance right this year. Yeah, I mean... I see it's hard to say because I honestly like when we're when they were going through the Champions League and even like maybe even now like it's hard to point to anything that you'd say they really did wrong during that run. I mean like they weren't throwing the same players into into the MLS and Champions League games which would have probably fatigued them even more. I mean yes it would have been nice to pick up points in Colorado and Houston but they weren't wearing out their players even more by making them play that and then and then head down to Mexico for the the next game but I mean it's just it's really hard to point to anything that you would specifically say like they should have done this differently and I mean I think because because yeah you as you mentioned Vanny kind of talked about this a little bit last night and he sort of couldn't really point to anything that he really would have done different like he definitely said that he's learned a lot and I mean of course they have because they've I mean no team has really ever had a run like that from an, like a, no MLS team mm-hmm. I mean I think Vanny mentioned like <laughs> it would have been hard for them to have a tougher draw in that tournament yeah I mean starting in sub-zero temperatures in Colorado <laughs> and then playing three teams in Mexico mm-hmm. within what it was like a six-week tournament yeah two months it was it was a brutal brutal haul and i mean even i think he even said the the mls games in between like they had to go down to houston and they had to go over to colorado again which again are tough away trips in this league so i mean it's hard to imagine it being that tough next time they're in the champions league but even still like i'm sure they've seen what's happened this year and they're going to try and address it but I honestly don't know what kind of tangible steps they they could really take to sort of sort of balance it out more especially if they if they really are prioritizing the Champions League I don't know like I I don't know if you if you have anything that you think that they should have done differently I honestly can't really point to anything specific well uh, yeah you bring up a good point I just yeah we don't know kind of what they did conditioning wise and, and kind of on that side because of you know all the injuries that's where i think internally they'd have to look at at things and and what minutes they give to players and how they're deploying players in these matches and their recovery and travel schedule and that kind of thing because you know the injuries seem like some of them could have been avoidable 
with the way everything happened. Like when that many players go down to injuries, that you know they have to kind of figure out why and and what went wrong there. So I think that's one side that that maybe they look at, but obviously externally, you and I can't. <laughs> I, I don't think either of us have kinesiology degrees or or are you know available to look at these players' medical history. So um, we have no idea what what they can do on that end. But that is the perhaps the one thing. Um, that they can fix. And another thing that I'm wondering, kind of, and someone brought this up, I think, on the Waking the Red comment section, it's not something, especially internally, you'd like to think, but you wonder if, at least for this CONCACAF Champions League um, campaign next season, even for the MLS season, it might not be the worst thing if Toronto FC misses the playoffs or at least goes out early because... We've seen them have such a short offseason the past two years, and I know this is a team that likes to keep up momentum, and and you can't really do that, obviously, when you have such a long offseason, but there, there might be some positives. It might not be the end of the world if they don't miss make the playoffs this year, at least for, for going into next season. Obviously, you have to get the job done next year if, if that's you know ends up being a success, but um, what, what do you think about that? Because I, I thought that was an interesting kind of discussion that was happening in our comments section yeah i mean it's definitely uh, like you can definitely argue that point i mean their off season this this past year was what like six weeks mm-hmm. which is just even insane less for, in for any some sport. players some players were back in earlier working out and stuff like that yeah i mean <laughs> i mean the tough part about mls is your your break is in like January mm-hmm. unfortunately so you can't <laughs> really enjoy it that much but um yeah i think i mean obviously obviously they don't want to miss the playoffs because like especially after what they did last season but at some point these guys have to have a break like they've played so much soccer with two straight MLS cup final runs and then an extra eight games in the Champions League this past year plus these four games in the Canadian Championship I mean they and and they've had I mean they haven't really had a consistent lineup but pretty much all of their core players have been playing in most of these games I mean that is a lot of exertion on these Mm -hmm. guys and they're not particularly young either most of the most of the star players on this team like the the Javinkas and the the Vasquez and Bradley type, type players um uh, like they they are gonna need a break um and they would never admit that to you and they would probably just shut you right down if you even yeah. even tried to ask them if it would be if there'd be any kind of benefit to missing the playoffs but i mean yeah yeah they would probably be able to come out a little bit fresher in 2019 but i mean still at at some point like they would still much rather make the playoffs Oh, for sure. Like it's obviously it's obviously a consolation, uh, you know, a consolation point at, at that point. But I, you know, as, as that commenter mentioned, it might not be the worst thing. But to put Toronto FC's off season in perspective, can you imagine if like Alex Ovechkin wins the Stanley Cup and then like six weeks later has to go back to training camp and has to basically play playoffs all over again? Like we wouldn't have an Alex Ovechkin anymore. He'd be gone. <laughs> he would have retired yeah. at that point. So it's it's just crazy what the Toronto FC players ha- had to do this offseason. And 
um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, looking at that Vancouver, back at that Vancouver game again at, at the MLS, or sorry, at the uh, Voyagers Cup final. Um, you know, obviously Josie Altidore went into the game as not a very popular character in Toronto with. <laughs> with you know the what happened against New York City FC in the early sending off that kind of derailed that game but um I don't know about fully forgiven but you know three goals and, and an incredible performance um love the quote from Greg Vanny we both got a good chuckle out of, out of it after the game the bigger the game the bigger the Josie and that's something that just continues to prove to be true yeah I mean I think I was kind of looking at some of his I guess more more high profile goals. That guy just I think he scored in pretty much every cup final he's played in mm. in the past in the past few years, except for the twenty sixteen MLS Cup. Um like he just whenever TFC seemed to need like a heroic moment in in a final, it's it always seems to be him coming through. I mean it was in the conference final last season or it was obviously an MLS Cup. Or, and he had some some huge huge goals during the Concacaf Champions League this year, including in the final and against mm-hmm. Tigres, I think. And then again, this like even even in regular MLS games, like he seems his goals always seem they always seem to have a little bit more uh, like meaning behind them because they always seem to come in moments when TFC really 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 desperately need a goal. And I mean, I'm not sure I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I'm not sure if it's if it's kind of an energy thing, and he sort of feeds off of pressure like that um but it always like consistently seems to be him coming through for that and i think the the team and and vanny definitely recognize that and they're that's like a big thing they value like he might not lead the team in scoring but he's probably going to lead the team in significant or or even game-winning goals to be Mm -hmm. honest and another big performer during this tournament uh, was Jonathan Osorio, who obviously won the MVP, three goals and, and one assist by my count. But I think what was most important was just how, you know, obviously he played a lot more minutes than everyone else, but he was also like easily the most consistent player for Toronto FC across all of the games. Uh, w- what I liked as well was his leadership. You know, he definitely showed that in the Ottawa game where uh, away to Ottawa where Toronto didn't have the best performance. They played a pretty young roster, but he was able to to obviously score the goal and to be the on-field leader. He was the captain in that match. And so throughout the tournament, it feels like we're talking about Osorio every week on this podcast, but um, I think it would be doing him a disservice to not be talking about him every week. Just another you know, another feather to his cap this season. And um, it does seem like at this point, perhaps he's been staying. We've been talking a lot about, or he'll be staying. We've been talking a lot about perhaps him moving out and and what that might mean. But you would think that if he was going to move, he might have gone by now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he really seems to like it here. Um, kind of how he's sort of just even in the, what, like six months maybe? He's just kind of turned into a genuine star on this team, whereas mm-hmm. a year ago he probably wasn't even he wasn't even a regular starter. No. Whereas now he's like one of the first names on the team sheet because he's just extremely consistent in creating and scoring goals. And I mean, nobody can really point to exactly where this has come from, and nobody would have expected this uh, at the start of the season. But I mean, he 
he's probably TFC's MVP this season, to be honest. Uh, and I don't think that's really controversial. I mean, he just cannot stop succeeding in 2018, where <laughs> the rest of the team can't start, it seems. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, by far, the, he's going to be the story to come out of 2018, if nothing really comes of the season. Like, the, the story of TFC season will be Jonathan Osorio's emergence as such an important player and I mean you're right I think he definitely could have made the jump to Europe uh, during this past window uh, but I really don't think he wants to because he just seems he seems perfectly happy here uh, being kind of a hometown hero for this club that's kind of that's that's kind of brought him up all the way through his career and I mean he's had success here and he's continuing to so I I don't really know why he would need to leave to go and go and have probably less playing time in Europe and less of a kind of sure job than he has here. I I really don't think that he needs to do that. I mean, he's 26, so he's not that young either. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like he's going to go over to Europe and break out as this fantastic young star. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I think he's here to stay. And I think he's going to, like, hopefully this kind of form can keep up. And this isn't any kind of a flash in the pan. Uh, but it really doesn't seem like it is, because I'm surely it would have died out at this point. It's been a whole season, and he's still just murdering every team he plays against. Yeah, and I, I do hope Toronto FC pays him like he should be paid at this point, like both for both for a Canadian standpoint, because Canadians in this league have generally, other than maybe a... You know, uh, Julian de Guzman have have probably been underpaid generally. Um, so, uh, you know, it'd be great to see a Canadian get at least into that TAM uh, money conversation and, and be really a huge piece of Toronto FC again and, and one of those cornerstone pieces, which I really think he is at this point if he stays. And one of the things you mentioned was just how consistent Osorio has been this season and in a season in with a lot of inconsistencies from other players and you know for a guy like Victor Vasquez or Altador perhaps those inconsistencies are down to injuries but he's been healthy he's been available and he's been consistent all season so um, you know that's been pretty incredible and, and like you said it, it could end up being that he stays here for the long run after um, what seemed like you know it seemed it seemed to make or all signs seem to be perhaps pointing to him leaving considering uh, just how everything was going. But um, we, we've been kind of on a more positive, uh, you know, talk about Toronto FC lately. Uh, I think we do need to, to talk a bit about the negative, which is, is their league form, at least the last game against NYCFC. And honestly, like not a bad performance, the three to two loss for uh, against New York City FC if that's a draw, like the point really doesn't help them that much in the standings. At this point, they really need three points if they're going to move the needle at all in the, in that playoff race. But it, it just it would have kept the momentum going, and as it was, it just seemed like everything came to a screeching halt that they've been building for a while. Obviously, since then, as we've said, they've gone on to lift a trophy, but um, that re- that result still still feels pretty difficult for them at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think if they lost in a more boring way to New York City, we maybe wouldn't be having this conversation about how disappointing the result was, because they really did 
for long stretches, especially in the second half. They played quite well against New York City. I mean, especially with with ten men. But like the results have to come. I mean, I know New York City is one of the one of the top teams in the league, but they were pretty beatable. I think on the weekend, like they they weren't really as lethal as I think they usually are. Um, and I don't know if David Vio is 100% healthy, even though he looked pretty good most of the time. Mike Haglin gave him a nice forearm shiver that... Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think in a vacuum, like losing to New York City, uh, based on both teams' current form, you can't really be too upset about that, even if it is at home. But looking at the way both teams played on that game, I really... TFC were definitely the better team, I thought. And... Well, probably, uh, yeah, actually, no, yeah, I think they were probably the better team on the day, even though they mm-hmm. had 10 men. Um, New York City just kind of found a way to exploit that extra space, which, I mean, that's kind of a way they play anyway, just kind of spreading you out. Um, and that obviously went really well for them with with Josie Elsider off the pitch for most of the game. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know, this... It, it was frustrating, for sure, because if that hadn't happened at the start of the game, I think TFC definitely were in with a really good chance of picking up a big win there, and then if Wednesday had gone the same way, then it would be two pretty big results in a row, and then who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned kind of the frustration uh, of the Altidore sending off, and um, obviously the week before with, with Chris Mavinga being sent off, it just seems so shocking that this team, after having so many things go wrong for them that were outside of their control, that all of a sudden, you know, things are they're a little, a little more healthy and and things are kind of back in their control a little bit. And now they're now they're making these mistakes that um, you know are, are costing the team, and, and they're completely in their control. The the kind of frustration and obviously with the way the season's gone, you can see that boiling over a little bit, but. It's not going to get any easier now that teams know that you can tick Toronto FC players off. Um, we just saw Josie Altidore just kick a guy, which apparently you're not allowed to do. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, easiest red card, um, you know. So it just, it, you know, it's just shocking that, that we've seen them like this and it basically has to stop or else, you know, this will really, really hurt the season. Already could have hurt the season. Um you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens this weekend. But those are two pretty key players missing. Yeah, TFC just keeps seeming to shoot themselves in the foot with like whether it's ridiculous after the whistle stuff or fouls or off the ball shenanigans like Mavinga and Elsador. I mean, or even even when it's just kind of defenders shutting their brains off for a split second and letting a really soft goal through. Like this team just keeps seeming to cause their own problems like it's not like they're getting dominated really in pretty much any games or at least it's pretty rare mm-hmm. um, but they just keep seeming to have like one or two moments every game that just kind of kill them and then after that they can't really recover because it's hard to recover from giving up two soft goals at the start of the game or having a player sent off and getting suspended for the next one. It's just it's just 
a pattern over and over and over again all year. They just keep keep causing their own problems, and I don't really know why. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to tell. I guess it's just must be the way this season's gone. Um, another thing that hasn't necessarily gone great for Toronto FC lately, and um, you know, obviously. I still absolutely rate the player and a ton of other players are having tough seasons. So it's, you know, we've, and we've kind of called out a couple of other players in the past, but Alex Bono has been kind of fighting it of late. Um, If you want, if you want to look at his expected goals above the goals he's allowed, he's allowed one uh, more goal than, than would be expected, um, which, you know, isn't huge, but it does put him into the bottom you know, bottom quadrant of MLS goalkeepers, and he was fantastic last season. Um, you know, m- making five more or allowing five less goals than he was expected to last year. So, um, kind of the the complete drop off has been surprising. We saw him, and he can still do it. Obviously, in the Champions League, he was fantastic for them. He was one of the main reasons they got so far um, in that competition. But you know, w- what do you see from him lately? Because it just hasn't been the same and again against New York City allowing a very soft goal that um, ultimately cost Toronto FC yeah it's just weird because like the, yeah he just keeps seeming to like he'll make a, a ridiculous point blank save to deny somebody and then five minutes later he'll bundle a ball through his hands and it'll go in the net like it's really not like I mean last year we were just completely used to him stopping everything he needed to and then and then another five ridiculous saves this year i mean i don't know if it's maybe just we set he set the bar for himself too high last year but some of these goals definitely should be should be probably not going in i mean yeah the one against the one against new york city that kind of kind of went under him off his hands i mean he he did say that like he he thought he was screened he didn't really see it um, but even still, like he got some pretty, he made some pretty good contact with the ball. It didn't go in the net very fast. I, you would you would like to see him maybe do a little better there. I don't. I'm see, I'm I'm a little surprised like when people kind of are saying that he's having a bad season because I know that like he's definitely been making these kinds of mistakes, but I honestly hadn't really thought of it that way maybe it's just because the rest of the season's been pretty bad for everybody (laughs) so you just don't really single out individual players because pretty much nobody's been ridiculously good other than maybe Osorio um but I mean yeah I guess looking at it looking at it now yeah it hadn't it definitely hasn't been as solid from Bono as it was last year which is I don't know if I don't know if I'd call it concerning because it's still just one one season some some tough bounces and I mean he's not he's he's still in what like his second year as a full-time MLS starter. Mm-hmm. So I think that stuff that'll kind of start to work its way out but yeah it's it's definitely frustrating especially in games like, like the New York City game where your team is playing well. There's nothing. Go- there's nothing going right for you guys, but you're still playing well. And then that happens, and you lose the game. Eventually, it's definitely got to be frustrating. 
Yeah, I guess there's been no, like, Loris Carius type moments for, for Bono this <laughs> season. Um, but, yeah, I guess I guess okay would be the way to call it, which he was fantastic last year, so it's been a bit of a drop-off. But, yeah, yeah as you said, probably a smaller sample size, um, but still something to, to kind of watch as, the as you know, we, we wind down the season here because Toronto will need him to be pretty sturdy if they're going to want to make the playoffs. Um, before we wrap up this segment, let's quickly look ahead uh, to Saturday where Toronto FC will be playing against the San Jose Earthquakes, one of the, the bottom feeders in the league, although so is Toronto FC at this point. So, um, But that really seems like a must-win match for match with, for Toronto FC. Obviously, we talked about the fact that Chris Mavinga and Josie Altidore won't be there, so uh, that's going to be tough for Toronto FC. But these games against, I know it's away and on the road, but... Toronto's going to have to win something like eight of their last 11 or something like that. So these games against much lesser opponents, they have to pick up all three points if they can. Um, one thing that I'd be interested to see as well is Lucas Janssen. Um, you know, we saw him at, at BMO Field yesterday accepting a medal. Not a bad start to his Toronto FC <laughs> career. Just gets off a plane, grabs a medal. He's like, he must be like, wow, this is great. I, I love this. Yeah, um, I thought he arrived like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. So he's <laughs> he, he's just gotten here. I know they haven't really had time to integrate him into the team, um, yeah. which I know is something they really like to do. We saw that with Nico Hasler, among other players. But I wonder, especially with Josie Altidore out, if you want to try him, considering um, you know some of Toronto's other striker options recently just haven't been been up to standard. Yeah, I mean. That's that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think this game on a weekend against San Jose, it might be Greg Vanny's last chance to kind of experiment at all, mm-hmm. because I think uh, I think after this one, he's gonna want to, as much as he can, kind of stick to what he knows has worked in the past, because that's probably gonna be their best chance at that point to pick up the win. So yeah, I think they're definitely gonna have to get a little creative with both Moving and Elsador back, or Moving and Elsador out, um, and with the players having just played on Wednesday in a completely different time zone on the other side of the continent. So it wouldn't really surprise me to see him, to see Jansen at least get on the bench, maybe get a few minutes at the end of the game. I mean, it'll definitely at least be good for him to be traveling with the team and kind of starting to get involved off the pitch, that sort of way. Mm-hmm. Joining warm-ups and all that, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't necessarily know if they'll really be getting him in the game, but I think... It depending on how the game's going, if it's going alright, it would like if they are winning later in the game, it would probably make a lot of sense to try and ease him into it as quickly as they can. Because there's not a lot of time left and they're I think they're probably hoping for him to make some sort of an impact this season with uh with only eleven games left and a lot of wins needed. It wouldn't be a bad thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially since he he is on a fairly fairly sizable loan and his option to buy is pretty big too, uh, 3.7 million apparently according to Tigre, the club he came from. So um, yeah, getting him integrated as soon as possible will be pretty important in terms of Toronto FC using him as an option down the stretch. Um, but let's finish up moving on from the Reds to the Red Devils. Uh, Manchester <laughs> United is, is your club, unfortunately. Um, so I uh, figured we'll talk a bit about them uh, before we get out of here. Um, obviously victorious in, in week one of the Premier League, 2-1 to one over Leicester City. But 
Um, maybe not the most convincing of wins. I found it interesting. Apparently, the betting odds for Manchester United to win the title doubled after this game um, in terms of getting worse. Like, they, they got twice as bad. Really? Um, even though they won their opening game, that's how impressed people were with Manchester City and Liverpool compared to United. So, mm. uh, I wonder if that's the first time ever that one of the top three teams in terms of odds to win uh, the title has, has won their opening game and still had worse odds. What, what did you kind of make of that opening performance? Um, I mean, it was frustrating at times. It wasn't perfect, but we saw some really good stuff from Paul Pogba, I thought, which is always a positive. Um I mean, whenever, pretty much for, for United at this point, whenever he's playing well, the team seems to be playing well because he's just kind of so important to that to that midfield transition and attack. Um, I mean, we sort we sort of started started to see that there's there's just cracks in the team, but I mean, the season just started. A win's a win. I'm not. It's really hard to hard to complain too much about really anything in that game all that much because at the end of the day they scored twice they I think they weren't scored on until pretty late unless I'm yeah it was it was right at the end Jamie yeah. Vardy headed one off a, off the post is pretty amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is the most Jamie Vardy goal I've ever seen <laughs> yeah I mean like yes they were out possessed like they only had eight shots um but I think they are starting to they're kind of easing into it. I think they're trying to do things a little bit, maybe differently this season. Um, they're playing with a, They were playing with a front three, which was interesting, and I kind of liked that. Um, I would. I wasn't. I wasn't really worried, to be honest. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I don't know when in the last like three or four years I've ever been completely blown away by a Manchester <laughs> United performance. Especially not since Mourinho's gotten there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you talk about Paul Pogba a little bit, and everyone's obviously talking about Paul Pogba recently and kind of the relationship uh, with Jose Mourinho. He he had the quote of the week a little bit in terms of the Premier League and, and what's being talked about. Um, he kind of had a chance, basically. He doesn't talk to the English press very much, but had a chance uh, to talk to them a little bit and kind of could have quashed these rumors obviously he wore the armband during that game so mm-hmm. um that was kind of seen as a as an olive branch for Mourinho to to kind of get things working a little bit better um you know in, in terms of their relationship he scored a penalty things seemed to be going great for Pogba to start the season um but then after the game he he delivered this one uh quote you have to know one thing a player who gets chosen and is happy you always feel more comfortable than when he's not happy that's all I will say, unquote. That's not all he would say, <laughs> going on to add the infamous quote, if you're not happy, you cannot give your best. There are things I cannot say, otherwise I will get fined, unquote. So it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like things are, are going great there. Obviously, we, you know, he didn't say the things that would have gotten him fined, so we're not fully sure uh, what's going on, but he still seemed a little unhappy with, with his treatment after, um, after the match. Yeah, I mean... It's obviously hard to really say anything definitive about what's going on because obviously we have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it it wouldn't be the first time Mourinho's had difficulties with players. Um, 
I mean, at the moment, I guess we're only through one game, but it hasn't seemed to have impacted Pogba's, Pogba's on-field play because he played really well. He captained the team. He scored his penalty. He was pretty much all over the field in in, in the attacking half especially. Um, so I would mostly be worried if he actually does start to take a, a dip on the field. Um, but these kinds of things come out all the time. This one t- probably does seem to have a little bit more weight to it than some of the other gossipy rumors from around the Premier League. Um, mostly because we act- there actually are direct quotes from players <laughs> that kind of back it up. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, the club apparently this morning like really, really adamantly were trying to get the press to say like we're trying to tell the press like there is absolutely no rift. I mean, this whole thing kind of reminds me of the ridiculous media circus around um, <laughs> the Leafs at the end of the season with Austin Matthews and Mike, <laughs> Mike Babcock. Babcock. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, point. players and managers butt heads all the time. Mourinho seems like a guy that just loves butting heads with people. And I mean, Pogba's obviously a big character. He's got a big personality and, I mean, probably got quite the ego. Both of them do, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I... I still think Pog was pretty happy at United. Like he still said great things about the club, even in the past week. Like when he was talking about what an honor it was to to wear the armband. So I really, I don't think there's really any any weight to people talking about him moving on in the near future. Um, so I think this is probably something that they're going to have to kind of work out over the next few months. And I I really think that they're going to be able to work it out because he's a really good player and he's really important to the team and there's it would be asinine for Jose Mourinho to burn a bridge with a player like that that they spent that much money on yeah I've you know in my sports fandom I've never seen a, a player and a coach butt heads and then they you know they trade the important player PK Suman instead of <laughs> getting rid of the coach uh, that's never burned me at all in the past um, <laughs> speaking of Mourinho this is kind of when things uh when things kind of, you know, have traditionally gone sour for him is this kind of third season, um, you know, progression. Is This is usually his last year with clubs. Things haven't <laughs> gone to traditional sense because usually he wins the league in his second year uh, with the team. So there's been nothing completely normal about Mourinho's stay at, at United. But, you know, there's all kinds of talk about how he really does kind of like to have a divided room and he kind of likes his players to be ticked off at him and ticked off at each other all the time and eventually that seems to to wear thin um you know what what do you what do you make of of third season Mourinho and do you think that we've we've started to maybe see a couple of cracks but do you think they'll be able to hold it together this season because they do have plenty of talent in terms of a top four finish but um, obviously you need to make sure that that translates into the clubhouse as well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like we're starting to see cracks. I mean, it's obviously impossible to really say how much of that is true and how much of that is kind of narrative or, or kind of exaggerated. But, I mean, it. I think maybe that kind of, that kind of cycle might be delayed a little bit because I think usually when Mourinho starts to wear thin, it's because he has taken them to a title so I mean at that point if you're a player like you've you've committed 
to to working with him you've gotten it done and now you're like okay this guy's kind of a jerk though <laughs> um and i think united still they just haven't really managed to accomplish what they've wanted under him yet um so i think there might still be a little bit more more sway in terms of convincing uh, convincing players to get over to his side at least for another year until things start to really go south, I think. Um, but they are definitely going to need to have a pretty good season this year to kind of keep the ship intact and stop it from capsizing mm-hmm. catastrophically, I think. Well, there seems to also be a, a lot of unrest at, at the top, too, especially with the way this transfer window went for the club. It mm-hmm. definitely didn't seem to go to plan at all, especially uh, if you talk to Jose or Jose Mourinho. Um, you know, Fred is the main acquisition. They brought in a couple of younger players as well. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really seem like they filled any holes. Those wing back pos- or fullback positions still don't look very good. They didn't bring in another center back. That has to be a little concerning. Obviously, as we mentioned, there's there's a lot of good players in attack and in the midfield, but it it still doesn't seem all that great. No, it doesn't. I mean, I wonder if they really wanted if they really wanted to try and sign Ronaldo, and then he went to Juve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at the lineup. There's definitely still pretty glaring holes on the sides, especially. I mean, Darmian started it right back on the on the week, or I guess it was last Friday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean. He's been serviceable, but not really, not really the kind of right back that you can win a championship with. I think I love Luke Shaw. I want nothing but the best for him, and he scored a goal, which was hilarious. <laughs> um, what a goal, too! Oh, it, oh man, that was Dennis Bergkamp esque. <laughs> um, I he just hasn't really had the opportunity that we all kind of wanted him to have when he first came in he's just dealt with so many injuries and weird i don't even know like disagreements with managers and all that <laughs> so i think if he I, th- I honestly believe that if he can get like a kind of consistent string of games at left back for this team he can actually be pretty serviceable in that spot i mean obviously if you can upgrade then you do it but fullbacks are kind of kind of hard to upgrade on at the moment and it's, mm-hmm. it would be especially hard I think in, in the January window So I, I mean obviously they're stuck with this now because the window's closed but um, I don't think it's I don't think this is that bad to to go with for now for now I mean and even on, even on the weekend I mean Eric Bailly I think is a fantastic center back mm-hmm. um, Victor Lindelof has potential, and I think I think he's he was good also at the World pretty, Cup. He was good. He was great at the World Cup, and he think he looked pretty good. Beside by, um, against Leicester, he was kind of disappointing last season. But I mean, Bayi was hurt most of the year, so he was kind of. Uh, so they they didn't have that that Bayi who can kind of, just, <laughs> push everyone around. At the back of the field and kind of command things. Uh, Eric Bai, who is, I think, one of the most important players in the side at the moment, because he's so consistent in the center of the back line. And I mean, 
they just really need him to not get hurt again. Yeah. Because it would be really bad if they didn't have him for the whole year again. Um, so, yeah, the back line isn't ideal, but I really don't think it's as bad as people are saying. I think, yeah, Baye is great. I think Lindelof can be okay, and they've, also, they've got some of their options there. I mean, Chris Smalling's still kicking around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could put Ashley Young out there if you need to. He can probably score, but not really defend. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think they need this attacking group to get it together so that because they're probably gonna allow about a goal or two every game <laughs> especially against good teams so they just need to score at least that'll be fun to watch although it'll still be Mourinho ball so maybe not um if if they if the back line isn't as bad as people say in your opinion then you know where do you see them in this kind of battle for the top four um, obviously Chelsea's improved or I don't know if they've improved they're kind of different now than they were um, and they've brought in some new players brought in a new manager uh, Liverpool has improved absolutely and you know Tottenham's the same but they're still Tottenham and they've still been pushing for that top four and uh, I guess Arsenal's there too um, <laughs> who you know where do you see them in, in this kind of battle for the top four because I don't know, as as the odds makers have said, it seems pretty hard to see anyone dethroning uh, City or Liverpool as, as the top two. But uh, after that, it seems pretty wide open. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, people seem to have already awarded City the title, um, which is kind of annoying <laughs> because they've played what once. Um, I don't know. I mean, last year United finished second, and everybody called the season a disappointment, which it kind of was. It was the greatest accomplishment of Mourinho's career? Yeah, I mean, it was... <laughs> it must have been one of the most boring second-place seasons of all time. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I think... I think they're definite... I would de- I would probably call United a top-three side in the league. Maybe not much higher than that. I mean, obviously, Liverpool and City are excellent teams, but anything could really go wrong like but i mean any team is obviously a couple bad seasons or injuries away from being garbage yeah <laughs> yeah so i think i think united will probably be not comfortably but fairly decisively in the top 4 this year mm. um i don't i still don't really think they have the quality to actually make a serious genuine title push which is unfortunate uh but i like i think they'll be up there i think they'll be making some noise i think they'll probably be hanging around the top for maybe the first few months of the year but i think ultimately the sides with a little bit more star power are probably going to to pull through the the either city or, or liverpool i think at this point and before we do get out of here speaking of manchester united legend Wayne Rooney's just been unbelievable since Oof. coming over to MLS. There's obviously the play against Orlando City where he won the game, uh, tackling Will Johnson and then <laughs> sending the ball upfield for Luciano Acosta of all players to to head in the ball. But he scored two again last night. You know, it's been fun. Like this is the type of European player that I like when they come over here. He's <laughs> the anti Frank Lampard. He comes over here. He's still mm-hmm. trying his hardest. Same as Latan to some degree. Like there's still 
they're still trying to play hard and there's still players that um, are do seem interested in growing the game and, and helping over here so as much as MLS is going to get branded a retirement league um, these guys don't look like they're you know they're they're looking to retire they do look like they're still yeah. trying to make a statement and that's that's kind of cool yeah I'll be honest I was kind of skeptical when Rooney was coming over I mean DC is not very good like I mean he's and he was not very good in the Premier League last year especially after like Christmas I think he only I don't think he had any goals that weren't penalties after Christmas for Everton <laughs> last year. Um, but yeah, he's absolutely proved me wrong. He's definitely come over, and he's really, really working at it. Like you cannot look at that hustle to get back at Will Johnson and say that he's come here not to try, or he's come here just to get a paycheck, because that man has not run that fast in like three years. <laughs> <laughs> My God, that was. A crazy, crazy d- piece of defensive work that I don't think he's ever done in his life. Um, it's awesome to see. I think it's great. Um, like they're recognizable names, and I mean at this point, yes, yes, you, it does lend to the whole MLS is a retirement league kind of thing. But I, it's putting butts in seats. DC just opened the new stadium. They're really trying to kind of change the whole kind of culture there because they were kind of down in the mud for a bit and I think this is really positive like Zlatan as well obviously I mean he's I would say LA is kind of a little bit more on firm footing in MLS and they have been in the last few years and they've kind of done this sort of thing before obviously with stars coming over from from Europe but it's definitely working out I mean I think we kind of had a lull actually for a few years where teams sort of kind of shied away from bringing in these kinds of players yeah, yeah. Uh, especially after the guys like Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard didn't really work out <laughs> um, but it seems to be starting to come back and I mean teams seem to be doing it a little bit more smartly now or I, I guess it's kind of hard to say because the sample size is small but both the recent ones have really worked out which is great I mean I love seeing recognizable European star names in MLS. Casual fans will love that, and they're actually performing and creating new highlights, which is great for, for the league all over the world, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I think, you know, I, I've never cared too much about the retirement league narrative, but, um, you know, it wasn't fun to see a player like Frank Lampard do what he did to the league and, um, you know, <laughs> have guys on TV panels and all kinds of kind of Bush League stuff like that. So um, it, it is great to see players be committed to the league and, and understand that, you know, this is still a high level of soccer and that there's still um, important games to be played. So um, I, I think we're going to end the show there. Um, you know, great chatting to you, Charlie. This is been a lot of fun it's fun to actually get to talk about (laughs) toronto fc winning something Uh, (laughs) i know it's weird yeah hopefully uh hopefully not too weird uh over the next couple (laughs) months as they um you know like we said get back into the champions league and and make that playoff push we'll see how that works out and we'll be covering that more on later episodes uh of the footy talks podcast but thanks again everyone for listening and uh have a good week